You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode 56. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore Our Geek. I'm Andrew. Dude here. And he finally got it right, because I just threatened him about eight seconds ago. <laughs> I'm Leslie Stalin on this episode of 60 Minutes. Uh, I want to do, do that when you have like one of your big episodes. You haven't had a big episode in a while, have you? Where you've had like seven people. We've never had that many people. The most we've had is four. Four? I thought you had, early on, I thought you had like a really big one where everyone was around the table. No, I mean, we we didn't even have physically have the equipment to do. Oh, okay. I think if, if Tracy and I pulled all the equipment, we could have five mics. Okay, I, I just remember one day at the house back when I was still living there, you had like a bunch of, maybe there were there people doubling up on mics or I guess not? Or oh, are you thinking the Tidewater Comic Con episode where we just had people walking up to the table and I kept dropping in little clips? Yeah, maybe that was what it is. Go back and that Tidewater Comic Con episode and, and listen, because my friend Jeff might be on that is he said that he passed your booth when you were doing your recording and he goes oh look another one because apparently there's a bunch of podcasters that were there yeah i remember i remember listening for that you can't hear it there, there's hear enough it. Okay. there's enough background noise that you just it, it's not that it's lost oh that's so funny we got to get jeff on the show but more to the point hey what do we got today so today's topic uh we're talking the all the the star trek finales we are hardcore nerding it today. Yes, we are. We, you do not get more classically nerd than Star Trek, yep. the TV series. It, I mean, we, we talked about this the other day in terms of the fact that the original series really didn't have a series finale because it got canceled after three seasons. But the other, you know, all, all the other ones have. So I thought it'd be fun to go look back and just kind of compare and contrast them. Yeah, I remember an interview with Shatner talking about that, how he was like, by season three, he thought, oh, yeah, we're really hitting our stride. We're really writing some really good episodes. And then, like, boop, you're gone. So I mentioned this to you, and I've got to find uh, where, where this is where this comes from. But there was an interview with with someone, and they were, they were basically saying that the season three of, of the original series of Star Trek, mm-hmm. that was the last year that Nielsen's did not break down the ratings by demographic right by age okay, demographics yeah. so had they done that they would have seen that star trek was absolutely killing it in the 18 to 25 prime demographic for advertising mm-hmm. and they would have kept and star trek would have kept going hmm. yeah yeah they actually they they did the breakdowns at, like after the fact and star trek was just like crushing it hmm. Hmm. well yeah, but again, because they, it wasn't like the big, they weren't getting the big numbers like other shows that had a, a more general appeal. Yeah, and keep in mind, it. back in the 60s, you didn't really have the choice. So if you weren't pulling in like 15, 20 million viewers a week, they, they, they kind of cut you loose pretty quick. Now Nowadays, you can get by on just a million viewers. I was going to say, if, if a show got 15 to 20 million viewers, producers would kill for that kind of thing. Nowadays, yeah. But, Actually, as a side note, that reminds me. Uh, so, The Simpsons is not is no longer releasing DVDs after season seventeen. 
Really? Yeah. So they released one through seventeen, and then season twenty, and that's it, because they weren't selling enough enough units. Mm-hmm. Season seventeen of The Simpsons sold fifty fifty thousand units, hmm. and the guy who was writing this article was saying he's like. He was, he was a TV producer, and he's like, if a show I produced sold 50,000 units for a season on DVD, he's like, I would I would kill. I would actually kill someone to get those kind of numbers. Yeah, I guess it's all about expectation. Yeah. It's all about expectation. That's, that's certainly part of it. So let's, you want, let's just get right into it. Yeah, let's, yeah, just, let's, just, let's go, let's go in, uh, in order, if you will. Yeah, let's do. I was prepared for chronological order. So the first episode we're going to talk about is the series finale, two-part episode of all go- of of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which is called "All Good Things." And I mean, you want to just give your brief overview of the episode and what you thought of it, and then we'll kind of like take a scalpel to it real quick. Sure. So this is kind of, obviously it's, it's the seat this the series finale, and I think this is probably the the best of the the ones we're going to talk about. In mm-hmm. terms of it, it probably best in, best wraps up the series. Uh, Captain Picard finds himself jumping back and forth through three different time periods: the current time, the the, the future, and then back to basically when he took command of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to figure out a why he's jumping back around, jumping back and forth in time, but also b there's an anomaly in the Deveron system. He's trying to figure out what's going on with that. Uh, and the anomaly gets basically gets bigger as you as you go backward in time, and right. and of course, Q comes into it. Who is, I mean, I I think you and I agree that he's such a fantastic character. Absolutely great. But he they, um, they pick basically pick up the the trial from the original from the the pilot episode, in, which was Encounter at Far Point was the name of that yep. episode. And so they, they they basically pick that up. And kind of bring it, bring again, bring us full circle, so that Q is is it's basically saying the trial never ended, right? And this is just yet another test to, to prove that humanity is has either moved forward or is still a a savage, childlike race. Yeah, the trial on the in that first episode was to kind of prove that humanity was worthy of going out into the stars, yep. as it were. And I, as I was watching this episode, um, a lot of, we talked about this last, uh, one of the last podcasts, very reminiscent of early 50s science fiction in my mind. So this sounded a lot like uh, the day the earth stood still, that humanity was pr- proving itself to another race, that it was worthy of yeah. being being a, a race that's supposed to do that, of being spacefaring. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh as an episode, I thought this one, you're right, really kind of encapsulated the series well because it's very episodic. So you'll notice, like, the, especially with the Deep Space Nine finale, that one ended a big story arc. Yeah, almost but, on, almost two-year story arc. Yeah, but this one was, you know, DS uh, uh, Next Generation was a show of its time. So a lot of the episodes were... Very episode. I mean, basically episodic. You you had yep. a, a mystery or a problem that got solved within one hour, and in this case, they did the same thing in two hours. Yeah, and and it, so one of the I thought the strength of the episode was it was kind of like a, a greatest hits with cast members. They brought back Tasha Yar. They brought back Colomini. Uh, they brought back Q. So you got to see some of the characters you really liked. Even a couple of the um, the the villains. They brought back Tomalock. Yep. And 
I was surprised Guinan didn't make an appearance. I was a little like waiting for her, but she yeah. didn't even. And but I guess I was a little disappointed in this one because uh, it does wrap. It does fit the theme of the show, the way the show is done. But it also felt to me slightly like anticlimactic, and it was in a sense a classic Star Trek episode that the problem. You know, we wouldn't be able to solve it like, you know, watching it. It's, it's the tachyon beams from three different time zones and time and anti-time. Right. It was a lot of this, you know, classic Star Trek jargon where you're just like... Technobabble. Yeah, the, the big technobabble. I wrote some of the time and anti-time and then you have to make a static warp shell in the center of the anomaly. To, yeah. To fit. It was a lot of that stuff. And I don't know, as a finale episode, maybe I wouldn't have gone with a techno babble heavy finale episode, but that's what they went with. And it was, it was cool. I thought future Picard was hilarious. Future Picard is so damn funny, especially the scene where uh, he's this crazy old man and they they go to Cambridge to see data and he's got like the, the servant and she's like, what kind of tea? He's like, Oh, gray hot. He's like, it's all hot. What do you want in it? Nothing. (laughs) No, um, Yelling the my, whole episode. My, my favorite angry or uh, crazy crazy old Picard is when they go. They're on the uh, the bridge of the of the of Pasteur. Be- the Pasteur. Yeah, the, on the bridge of the Pasteur, and they threaten to. Uh, they they recommend that he goes and lays down, and he's like, oh, "I'm not some damn old." <laughs> now I'm gonna go rest. Yeah, I'm not. It was a very Cartman moment. Oh, yep. you think I'm an invalid? You think I don't remember these things? You think I'm making it up? I don't need rest. I'm going to go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> the other part was great where he was like, Worf's like, you use your knowledge of Klingon order to get what you want. He's like, that's because it always works. Because it always works, yeah. <laughs> so old Picard was really funny. And I really thought that was that was a lot a lot of the draw of, of that episode. Q showing up. I thought, you know, he was great. The trial scene, the the costume yeah. was fantastic. I thought he was great. Yeah, for the um, most part, even like again, because the future, the everyone's in in old makeup. Yeah. For the most part, it all looked good, except for Jonathan Frakes. He just looked greasy. Well, here's what's funny. So here's some of the funny things about this episode that when he's in the past, he's just taking command. There's no there's no Commander Riker. Yep. So he he contacts Commander Riker through like the vid screen. And if you look, he clearly appears to be outside, not in a in a space station. Yeah. And it's obviously stock footage from earlier in the series. It's stock footage from Encounter at Farpoint. Is that what? Okay. Yeah, it, so, it is. So that's what it looked like. And it was just kind of funny. The other funny thing I noticed about this episode was Data is a crazy cat person. Yeah. Yeah. You watch the Cambridge sequence, and I counted maybe five cats that were in that sequence. Like rolling around on top of the bookshelves and stuff like that. I thought that was really funny. We also got the uh, the future Enterprise, the with, future with the, three uh, nacelle. Yeah, the third nacelle and the 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 ventral like phaser. Oh, the uh, yeah, the super super phaser. cannon. Yeah, <laughs> just just cleaves Klingon ships like they weren't even there. I was like well, that was easy. Yeah, I, I overall I thought it was a it was a pretty good episode. Maybe not worthy of a finale. Like, it was the final episode. It just didn't feel like a final episode. You know what I mean? Like, if you watched this episode out of sequence, you weren't a fan of the series and you just watched it, you would have gone, oh, what's coming up next? Yeah. You wouldn't have, It didn't feel like a finale. Um, it, it, at least there, there was no finality to it except for 
the last two or three minutes, maybe, when you got the captain joining the card game finally. Yeah. Yeah, that was really the only moment of sentimentality in that episode. Yeah. Other than that, it was very a very straightforward uh, time travel Q episode. I'll, I'll say, I'll say, I, I did really love the sit down with Q and Picard at the end of the, like at, when Picard solves it. Yeah. And it's just the two of them talking. Yeah. And Q is, is finally not, he's not being the normal Q. He's actually like having a sit down with Picard and just kind of talking. Yeah. And I think that, that was, was a nice my, moment. It was a nice moment, but I also was kind of, for me, the one thing that kind of bothered me about the episode was that the whole point of the episode was for Picard to figure out a time paradox. And because Picard figured out this time paradox, humanity is allowed to survive. And it was that kind of techno babble stuff that I felt was a little bit out of the... It's difficult to relate to as just an audience member. It was, it was, it was like, oh, okay, so he solved this. He figured out that there's paradoxes that are beyond existence, therefore you know, you can pass go and collect $200. And I thought like that, that to me was what kind of hurt, hurt me as like, Oh, this is, this didn't feel like a final episode. It wasn't as tangible. You couldn't like really take something from this episode. Right. It was a time paradox. Oh, okay. So time and anti-time and it gets big, bigger as it goes backwards in time, except in the future when they create it, it got bigger also in the future. The other thing I was thinking about this episode and I got, I, got to see if I can find the article now is that this, this, this episode was written at the same time, at the same time by the same people who are writing Star Trek generations, the, the first next gen motion picture. Oh really? Okay. And they said writing Star Trek generations was an absolute like epic marathon mm. kind of level achievement. Like it was just, it was a ton of work that, but then writing all good things, they said it almost wrote itself. It just, everything yeah. felt, I mean, they, they, they kind of knew, hey, what elements we want to bring back. The only one that they didn't incorporate into that episode was the Borg that they said they had wanted to. And then that became Star Trek First Contact. Yeah, I think the, it would have made the episode a little crowded. I think just bringing in favorite recurring characters like they did or characters that, you know, were on the show but left, brought them back. The last episode, I thought that was a nice touch. It was kind of like a, you know, a, a nice send off. And also, I think as a theme between the first and the second, uh, the, the this episode and the the Deep Space Nine episode, is Romulans suck. No matter what, <laughs> Romulans always suck because in almost every timeline they get conquered. They're conquered in the future timeline. Their planet blows up. They they. They suck in the in the Deep Space Nine Dominion War. They're always the the front that's collapsing. Like the Romulans suck. Yeah. That's the one thing I can get away with is Romulans Romulans suck. That's, so that's that is true. It's unfortunate, and I do love but... the little puddle of goo sequence. I thought that was all really cool. So I I, I had a fun story about that. Uh, mm -hmm. I was at the Smithsonian. Fuck, this is probably ten years ago. With some friends from from school, we're on a, on, on a trip, and. One of the guys I'm with just says, like, we were looking at some, some like, you know, natural history, primordial goo exhibit, basically. Right. And he goes, and he just looks, he goes, oh, look, they missed. And I, <laughs> and I start cracking the fuck up, and he just looks like, you need to get the fuck out of my head right now. Yeah, 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 that's funny. Yeah. 
little pile of goo. Just the, just the fact that I read his mind and I'm that big a nerd that I got it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's basically it in a nutshell. Overall, a good episode. Is it a good series finale? Eh, uh, mixed, mi- uh, mixed feeling on that. Yeah. So that, that's it for me. What about you? Do you have any, any other thoughts? I mean, I, I think I like it better as a, as a series finale than you do. Mm-hmm. Especially considering where some of the other ones go. And I mean, I think that, especially I think looking at the original, like season one of Next Gen compared to the last season. Yeah. It's just, there's such a significant improve. Like Next Gen, it, it just constantly got better. Every season was better than the last. Yeah, I and, think that's true. And with some of the other with some of the other Star Trek series, like they they progressively got better, but they had a lot more. There were a lot more ups ups and downs. There were a lot more hit and miss. Yeah, especially as the later series went in. I I like Next Gen. I it's funny. I was in Dallas a couple weeks ago watching BBC America in the hotel room, expecting to watch BBC shows. Right. And I didn't realize BBC America basically plays five hours of Next Gen in a row. Yep. So I was watching five hours of it's, Next it's, Gen. It's like Netflix, but without Netflix. Yeah, and for you at least. And I was actually kind of how compelling some of these episodes were because you really did want to know what happened next. Like, how do they solve this? What happens? They do create really interesting conundrums Yeah. that they solve in one hour, which are, which are really nice because you can come into that show at any point and just watch it. That's not necessarily the case nowadays with most tv shows it's i and i like it these big story arcs which is uh, what deep space nine was i was also gonna say the other thing is they left on a high note like they were at their peak and they said we're we're done yeah and there 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 are so many shows out there now i mean i mean we could make a list if we felt like it i don't know that we feel like at the moment x-files that's the only one i think first comes to mind is how i mean no i'm thinking like well i'm thinking shows like right now i'm i mean like csi supernatural like there's just there's Supernatural a, got picked up for twelve, is, is on its on twelfth su- season. Yep, I know. Twelve. But that's my point. Like, these are shows that that are well past their prime that are just going on because there's there's a cult following for them. Yeah. And instead, Star Trek said, "No, this this is this is a a a good place for us to to, to leave." Yeah. So, on that note, we'll move on to Deep Space Nine. Sure. Now, uh, I'll say Deep Space Nine in general is my favorite series. Okay. I don't have a good reason because it's not it's not as consistently good as Next Gen. And you and I have talked about this a lot. Some of the acting's a little hard to watch because Avery Brooks is just so melodramatic. Yeah, the acting in Star Trek over, we can make a whole podcast about that. And we talk about Next Gen. Sometimes the acting ruins some of the moments that they're creating like really compelling moments that the acting just doesn't land properly. And we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely touch on that in, in a few minutes here, I think. Yeah, I mean, Next Gen is the first one that jumps to mind. There's a, but So this episode wraps up the big story arc that they kind of changed the way they did the series because before it was like episodic. They were on the space station. It was kind of a, almost like a Cheers-like show where everyone was in this one spot. They didn't really do trekking in this one. And as yeah. they went... As they went on, they added the Defiant and a few other things to kind of get the hell off the space station. Well, if you notice, they didn't add the Defiant until after Next Gen ended. Right. Good point. I didn't notice that. The, I mean, the producers actually like very, very intentionally did not want the show's concepts. You know, they don't want to show about a, star, a starship and then another show about a starship. They wanted to do something different while Next Gen was still in the air. 
And it, we should just point out, Next Gen was on the air from 1987 to 1994. Uh, and Deep Space Nine started in 1993 and ended in 1999. So both had six, uh, seven and six-year runs, respectively. But no, what was interesting... Se- uh, there were both seven seasons. Both seven seasons, okay. Uh, um, Next Gen, Vo- Gen, DS9, and Voyager all ran seven seasons, and Enterprise ran four. Right. And the thing about Deep Space Nine was, to me, yeah, both were about 170-something episodes. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, Next Gen's 176, and Deep Space Nine's 173. But more to the point. So with Deep Space Nine, when they add that Dominion War to the last two seasons, that just changes the way, or two or three seasons, that just kind of changed the way the show was done. Because yeah. it went from episodic to big story arcs. Well, and it's, they introduced the Dominion in an episodic manner. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a recurring thing, and then season four, uh, season five was kind of the lead into the Dominion Wars, especially towards the end, and then six and seven were the no shit Dominion Wars, right? And that was all kind of very, very episodic. I mean, very, very story arcy. So like episodes, they they leaned into each other. They 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 blended. They had all this kind of stuff. You, know, so yeah. you, you had to kind of stick with it this time. Whereas, you know, in Next Gen, you could watch it at any point. Yep. So when I was watching the this Deep Space Nine finale, I'm going, oh, crap. I don't remember half. Like, Gal Dukat is a Bajoran, and I had completely forgotten how he that happened to him. Yeah. Completely forgotten how that happened. And then, like, young, you know, the new Dax. I, for, I forgot they had a new Dax and stuff like that. Uh, so it was, I mean, you want to go through the quick overview of this episode? Yeah, so this is basically literally this is the this is the last the last battles of the the Dominion Wars. the The episode starts off. And this is actually one of the things I I actually dislike the most about the episode is we basically see everyone getting getting up in the morning, getting ready to leave on the ship, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, we, I've been watching this show for seven seasons. I know who all these fucking characters are. You don't need to reintroduce them to me right now. Mm-hmm. So we everyone gets on the Defiant. They go out. They go out to battle. Uh, the battle's not good. Does not go well for the for the Federation Klingons and they, the Romulans. The Romulans the Romulans get, fold like a bad piece of you know, like a I know, newspaper. It's, it's, Romulans always suck. I remember that part. Where the, and, and just, <laughs> you notice this is that you have the 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 Federation uh, guy Admiral Ross and Chancellor Martok and Cisco. You never see a Romulan liaison. They right. never they never introduce a Romulan as part of not, not a consistent one anyways they 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 show no. they, they show a couple of them but they're always different and yeah there's never a, a guy you can like oh he's the Romulan dude you know why because Romulans suck should have gotten a Tom we should have gotten Tomalock back yeah, that would have been fun that would they... yeah uh, th- this all is going badly at the same time Kira Garrick and Damar are they had been running a resistance on Cardassia. And in, and the resistance basically gets wiped out. So instead, they start a popular uprising against the Dominion. Right as this battle's taking place, they basically pull in Italy on on the Dominion. That's basically what they do. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. So in the process of this, the Dominion. There's ba- a lot to this episode. <laughs> it, it, it is a dense episode. It's a, there's so many strands in this episode. It's part of my problem with it. Basically, the, the popular uprising. The the long and short of it is, the Cardassians end up turning on the Dominion. Which allows the Federation allies to turn the tide in in, in the in the space battle, even though the Romulans suck, mm-hmm. and they end up uh, surrounding Cardassia. I mean, I'm, that, that's like that's like the big picture. 
Obviously, yeah. the war and, the and, war ends. There's there's about twenty minutes of of war war wrap up, mm-hmm. and then we go back to the station for like twenty minutes of wrap up of the pro for like the profits. Yeah, that profit stuff. So the profits you got to explain are these. I call them Q light. They're basically they're wormhole aliens. aliens. Wormhole aliens, and this is part of my problem with Deep Space Nine is early in the or previous couple seasons earlier there's the whole sequence of mining the wormhole and like they they blow the worm the, the mines up and and they have well, this other big battle that only the and, 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 and let's say by mining you mean like land like space mines not like space mines, not like not, mineral mining no 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 like space mines that blow up and replicate and yeah. they blow it up and then the super dominion fleet's going to come through and, and then it just disappears because disappears the yeah, the worst ex machina moment in all of Star Trek. It was like, oh, let's just make him go. And back. you know, up until that point, I was pretty good with with the incorporation of the Bajoran spiritualism, and and Cis- the Cisco being kind of torn between the two the two worlds because Cisco is also the the emissary of the prophets. I was mm-hmm. okay with that up until that point, and then yeah, it was like really like like we get this huge fucking moment, and then. We couldn't figure out. We could not figure out how to end this otherwise. Like no, yeah, it was a. Ter- I mean, that was, and I did not like the Bajoran mysticism. That's a subplot throughout this episode, and it is so. It's just bad. It's just so distracting. It's so boring. It doesn't amount to much in this episode. I I did appreciate something. I, I would I would actually say like this season. Like basically, the end of season six into this into beginning, like the start of season seven, is where the Bajoran mysticism really takes a left turn. That you just go, well, why the fuck are we doing this? It didn't feel like it belonged in a Star Trek series. It was very fantasy. It felt out of place. Yeah, I guess you want to do something different. It doesn't work. It just seems dopey. It's yep. it's adding magic to a science fiction series. Uh, you know, I'm, it's it's also one of those things I th- I think really would really goes against Gene Roddenberry's vision for Star Trek. Because yeah. because I, it, there were literally there were arguments with with Paramount when the original Star Trek was being recorded that the ship should have a chaplain. He and and Roddenberry was adamant that this was basically an entire civilization of atheists. Right. And and like I under I understand the idea that they they want to just story wise wanted to explore religion and mysticism like from from a writer's storytelling standpoint. But admittedly, like it, it doesn't fit very well. It, it feels a little shoehorned, kind of ham-fisted in there. Yeah, and I've mentioned this to you before. We might want to put it in the show notes as something to chew on. Uh, is there a podcast out there called uh, the the Politics of Star of Star Trek? It's more like the philosophy of Star Trek. And he goes, and the guy in the article and, and on the podcast. I don't agree with everything the guy said, but it was fun to chew on. Yeah, is is how the philosophy from like Gene Roddenberry's kind of absolutism to the newer series like relativism changed and how he kind of marked that change and what happened it's 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 a, it's a side note but yeah I mean, yeah I, we should note i mean gene roddenberry died and i think during the fourth season fourth or fifth season of next gen next so gen. right right about the time that ds9 was premiering mm-hmm and i would say i mean i liked there's some elements of this i really liked the war stuff was pretty good uh, the irony of like Major Kira or Colonel Kira fighting the resistance with the Cardassians. Yes, that was. I thought that was really great. I thought that was a really nice 
uh, touch. I was disappointed they couldn't bring back any of the next gen cast to be more, you know, to play a role in this one. Though admittedly, they they the next gen cast played almost no role in Deep Space Nine at all. Yeah, the only one outside of Worf and O'Brien. Well, so Worf and O'Brien, but they they were actual they became actual cast members for this show. Right. The only like guest guest that came on was Picard, was Patrick Stewart for the first the first episode, mm-hmm. and then Jonathan Frakes was in an episode in third season, I think. He played like his twin brother or something. Yeah, I mean, not that the the episode where the, where the twin comes in. Mm-hmm. That was a fun next gen episode. Just thinking back, but yeah. And like I said, this episode to me was just really crowded. It had a lot of these subplots they had to fill out, and it, for the most part, I thought they did a good job until that prophet stuff with the they, they go to the fire caves and the book. The book was the whole thing, and they they had they had a force battle at the end of that episode. Literally had a force battle. Uh, also, the other thing that that kind of got me was, you know, a lot of the effects. In, in these shows hold up pretty well. Because yeah, the battle all, was way cooler. Because a lot of them, they were done either with really high quality CGI for the time or they were done with miniatures. Mm-hmm. There were still a lot of them were done with models. The stuff in the fire caves looks like fucking garbage. <laughs> Even yeah, the it, fire in the fire caves look like, like, like can, we not, can we not just film fire? I, like, I, is yeah, that not a well, thing? The whole thing with the fire caves and the prophets. I mean, just so, and then we know what fires look like since we were fucking cavemen. Can we not figure this out? And it, and here's the thing. It was like, oh, they, they wanted to play this off like this was the real threat. That, oh, right. I'm going to take these fire gods, these pa wraiths, and they're going to conquer Bajor, and then they're going to conquer the Celestial Temple, which is the wormhole, and then they're going to conquer the Alpha Quadrant. Yep. Oh, and then we're going to resolve it in five minutes by being pushed off a ledge. Nah, and then it's... the book, the power was the book. You had to burn the book, and that ended it. And I was like, you got to be joking. That I mean, that, I, the... I have my notes, like, multiple times. Really? Really? And, you know, like, this was a really, it was a really crappy ending for a character I really liked, which is Dukat. Yeah. Uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a piece a while back. And, and, and in kind of each of the Star Trek series, you get like a, a, a kind of an, uh, an opposite character to the captain. Kirk had Kor, Picard had Tomalok, uh, Cisco, Cisco has Dukat, Voyager, she's the Borg Queen. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've got these, these opposite. This is the only one that I really feel is, a, is, an, is an actual, no kidding, dramatic foil to the other. Well, it was a and good Dukat, quality actor. Well, it, yeah, Marco Limo is a great actor. But the other thing is, He's in it a lot more. Like I, I was thinking, like some of those, like the Borg Queen or like Tomalok. They're only in like a handful of episodes. Ducat, and I actually just looked this up. Ducat is in thirty-five of those episodes. Right. That's impressive. Yeah. That's a, and and he was he was a you're right he was a good foil and I do remember you telling me about his very long neck. Yes, because he uh, Mark Alimo played the first Cardassian. Um, I can't remember. On next gen. Yeah, I can't remember the episode. I know, like, I know what the episode is. I can't remember the name. Yeah, and when he's a Bajoran for some reason that I can't remember, he, you can see how long his freaking neck is. Yeah, it's like, dude, this guy's got a serious. He's tall. He like a foot of his height is in his neck. Yeah, he's yeah, he's got a, and and that's how the Cardassians got that distinctive neck look, mm-hmm. is because the makeup artist knew Mark Alimo was playing it and wanted to do something fun with it. And again, just a point to be made, Romulans suck in this and 
not only was the the, the whole Pa Wraith profit thing kind of wrapped up a little too conveniently, like Odo to the rescue during the battle sequence, he kind of beams down, links with the founder, the 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 leader of the Dominion, this war criminal, and then she goes, "Okay, oh, you're right, I give up." So, one thing about that. The first time I ever saw this, I only saw the second half of this episode, mm-hmm. and like I assumed there was there was a lot more going on. Now, there's like there's kind of just like a logical like a logical jump in there that like 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 a, like a, like, a, like a skip that that I feel like the the Federation surrounds the planet. Yes, and now, ready to go, ready to go, ready to fight it out, and now suddenly we're talking. Yep, like there there something feels like it was. Like it feels like we just we missed something there. It's more like, look, we only have but so much runtime on a TV show. Let's just wrap this part up. Right. Instead of we ran out of money, we can't do another battle. Let's just we have enough money for some some liquid well, people's I'll t- action. I'll tell you done. what, like they definitely ran. They were definitely running short because they used a bunch of file footage. Oh yeah. In fact, um, the 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 Jem'Hadar ships doing this the Kamikaze runs on the mm-hmm. Klingons. Mm-hmm. That's file footage from the se- the season finale from season six. Mm-hmm. It's also when one of the Klingon ships blows up, you see the inside. Mm-hmm. That's file footage from Star Trek three. I noticed that it's the and, and it gets sucked it, out. Yes, um, yeah. that whole that whole interior explosion Klingon sequence. That whole thing is actually file footage from Star Trek three, and they've used it repeatedly. Yeah, over and over. It's, if, the Klingon, you, it's like the Wilhelm scream, but it's yep. the Klingon getting sucked out the ship. Yep. Do we know who that Klingon is? Yeah, I just, I, I enjoyed some parts of it, but yeah, it, it, it wraps itself up a little too easily. And this is definitely like a much darker Star Trek than Next Gen was. Yes. Because you got freaking genocide, like 800 million people die in the space of what appears to be 20 minutes of this, which is probably a few hours in the showtime. But yeah. But it's like 20 minutes, like, damn, that was, I remember right, like, that was quick. Yep. Uh, but then the other problem with this episode for me was that it laid on the sentimentality super thick at the end. I mean, gray flashbacks of all these characters and the hologram Vic singing a I had a whole musical sequence. Yep. That had no it was like, well, why why are we doing this? I thought we could actually wrap up the story. Instead we have a whole musical number that we're watching and we're going, This just feels like filler. And there really shouldn't be filler in a series finale. Right. And it's funny, like, we had that logical jump that we could have filled in, but instead we get this. We need a musical number. Damn it. Who cares? It's just, just Link. Bloop, we're done. So, yeah, I, it, this one was just okay to me. Uh, I, I, I had There were parts of it that were really great, and there were parts that were just stupid. Oh, but I, it did I, feel I, I, like a series finale. It did... It, it, it did. I'll, I'll be honest though. This is actually probably the lo- the lowest on my on my list. Uh huh. Because it it sticks the landing pretty well up until those last twenty minutes. And then I go, what the fuck is this? You could have just ended it. Yeah. Right. right. At, yeah. Like you had it. You had a a solid ending, and then you decided to keep going, and you should have stopped. It, it felt very like, and the whole stuff with Cisco just so annoying. It had that. It had a very Babylon Five feel to it. That just didn't feel like it belonged there. And then he's like, he, he talks to his wife in the, in the celestial temple. He's like, they got stuff for me to do in the, the white universe. That's all white. Yep. Uh, there's no, nothing here, no texture, but I got it. I'm the emissary. I, I got, it's all white. Ex- it's all white except for me, <laughs> except for me. Yeah, that was, 
So yeah, I had a problem with that one. Uh, I, I, I I give it points for wrapping the series up in a definitive way, but and sticking the landing for the war. It but just the way it kind of made shit convenient didn't didn't do it for me. Yep. So moving on to Voyager, this one, at least in my opinion, is is a glorious mess. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about this one. So basically, we start off in the future, twenty something years in the future. It's after Voyager has returned. To fireworks and celebrations, which yep. I thought was funny. After spending 25 years getting home. Right. And basically Janeway decides that that's not fast enough because people died and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to go back in time and give my previous self a bunch of equipment and knowledge and other shit I shouldn't and help them get home because the series needs to end. Right. And, and really the motivation <laughs> for her to do this is... Uh, seven of nine dies, and I don't want that to happen. And Tuvok goes crazy. Tuvok goes crazy. Seven of nine dies, and Chakotay dies kind of, of just, a broken heart. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, I was happy to see Chakotay get some action. Like, if all the characters in that show deserve some action, it was I mean, and apparently, like, I mean, it looks like he Chikote. got some good action. Yeah, Jerry Ryan is definitely some nice action to get. <laughs> but it's just really, she had that congressman husband who basically squandered that. Uh. I, you know, I don't like time travel, so I thought, you're right, it just felt like we need to wrap the series up, so we're gonna, we're gonna do some future shit and beat the Borg. Right, yeah, so, so the Borg are involved, and that's kind of the obvious choice for, for Voyager. For one, the we know the Borg are in the Delta Quadrant, and there's been a lot of yep. Borg stuff in Voyager. A lot of Borg, how do you feel about that? Because, for me, growing up, the Borg always felt like Picard's nemesis, and then they try and make the Borg... Jameway's nemesis, and I never liked that both characters had the Borg as their primary baddies. I see, never liked. See, I, ne I never thought of the Borg as Picard's primary nemesis. I always no. thought of it as either Q or or, or Tomalock. Okay, I mean, I, I I always thought when he was Locutus, that was the time where it was like the most profound effect he had. I mean, well, no, I, I mean, I, cer I certainly think that's the most that's the most profound Borg episode. Yeah, and then Q, again, was indirectly related to the Borg because they tried to throw Q into some Voyager episodes and it just felt like they were they taking threw, some steam from Picard. They also threw him into a DS9 episode that was Actually, not very good. And only one. Only uh, one. It was called Q-less. Yep. He was in a bunch of Next Gen because I'm looking at him right here. Yeah. He appears to have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One Deep Space Nine episode and three Voyager episodes. And that was the other thing. They separate Q from the Borg uh, in, in Voyager. And eh, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't dig that. Although, I mean, like, the, there's only one episode with Q and the Borg. It just happens to be the first one Q introduces the Federation of the Borg. That's true. That's true. And, it, and yeah, I mean, Q and, Q and Picard definitely work well together. But I... I, I yeah, just Janeway and the Borg just didn't fit for me. So, I mean, I liked the idea of the Borg, especially since they were going through the Delta Quadrant. It made sense for them to run into the Borg. Of course. I, I think they just, they got kind of goofy with it at times. They overdid it. They were like, oh, you know, this is an opportunity to really delve into the Borg and then just F it up. To be perfectly honest, I'm Seven of Nine, I, didn't, I never thought was a particularly good character. No, I mean, I didn't think that. They had a kind of, they basically had a cast change they had to go through. Yeah, I mean, this episode, you're right. It just 
felt at first when I was watching it, I hadn't remembered it in such a long time. I thought this episode was, oh, we're just seeing how they got there. And then I remember, oh, that's right. She actually goes back in time and does all her stuff. And then they get home. And the whole point was we didn't want seven of nine to die. Right. Ah, Yeah. yeah, It it was kind of like, ah, now, I, when, when I say this thing is, is a pretty spectacular mess, it's a great-looking episode. There's some awesome, awesome fighting. There's some just some some f- great visuals because they're fl- flying around in a nebula. Like, it looked really cool. I wouldn't call that fighting. They have these, what, transphonic torpedoes. Transphasic torpedoes, Basic yeah. torpedoes or another more techno-babble vomit that they just shoot two of them and then, boom, done. We win. And then, and then, you know, Janeway's like, I don't believe in the temporal product, uh, prime directive. Uh, shit's going to go down. Here's some armor. And they just build it. It's like, where, how do they fit? Where do they come? They just replicate it. Is it just, here's armor. You get armor now and it's on. Yep. Got enough armor to cover the ship. And here's some transphasic torpedoes and let's go blow shit up. Yeah. I mean, it it was, I would say, I would say it was, it's a fun episode only because it's just like, Hey, we're going to do a bunch of action stuff, but like it, it wasn't. A good episode. No, it really wasn't. It was really like a "we got to get this done" episode. Yep. Right. Because again, this one didn't have the ship's got the ship's got to get home. We're we're at the end of seven seasons. The ship's got to get home, and we're nowhere near the Alpha Quadrant. So I'll be honest. I really liked Voyager for the first four or five seasons, and then right around season five, I stopped watching, and so I didn't watch the last two, maybe three seasons. And so I didn't really know what was leading up to this point in the show. So I don't know if they had a big arc going into it or not. They or did, it was just no, like, oh, no, it's it's really out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, like the the show was definitely coming to an end. Like it had that the the last like you know ten episodes. So I had that feeling like we're getting we're getting to the end here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it certainly wasn't a build up like like DS Nine was. It was really kind of a. Hey, we're you know we're still twenty. We're still you know fifteen years from home. Oh, home now. Yeah, and, and again, you're right. The, the lack of buildup kind of gives it a makes it feel so abrupt. But I will say, I'll give it points for again being a finale. Yes. Unlike unlike next gen, which just again just felt like a two part episode. Right. So yeah, I, I give it credit. Okay, you were done. We're home. We win, or where we, the Borg are kind of our bad guys because we're familiar with them, and the Borg Queen is here. Okay, and then right. old Jameway gets uh, gets assimilated, and that's that's the thing. Right. So I I don't know what more we can add to that one. Yeah. So then the last one is the Enterprise finale. Right, I'll admit I didn't do my homework on this one. I didn't watch it. So I, th- this one I actually think is kind of my number my number two choice, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll get to that in a second. Enterprise is kind of weird the last season because they got canceled. They basically kind of knew going into season four they were getting canceled because the show sucked. Right. They had like what I think amount what amounted to about a half season worth of of episode ideas. And they ended up stretching a bunch of those into like two and three parters. Mm-hmm. So there were just a, a bunch of story, like mini story, you know, three episode story arcs mm-hmm. that really didn't need to be multi episode story arcs. So the, the the last season of of Enterprise really gets 
stretched out way too much. Yeah, and again, I watched maybe the first season, parts of the first season, and once they started that time travel shit, and then they didn't have a, they had a whole season dedicated to time travel. What well, wasn't dedicated to time travel? It was okay, but it felt like it was. Well, it was instigated by time by time travel. That's bad. That's good enough for me to be bad. That's I just stop with the time travel. I every time in Star Trek they do time travel, it just feels like a filler episode. Like, oh, we have to do our time travel episode and muck around with stuff. And it's the same reason why I hate the holodeck. Is the holodeck was like, let's dress up in 20th century outfits for a little bit. We we need to do that. So so the, they're the, always obsessed with the 20th century for some reason. This would have probably driven you nuts. So so the the Enterprise series finale is actually built into the framework of an a next generation episode called the Pegasus which mm-hmm. is about halfway through the, the the last season of Next Gen where Riker's old CO shows up and they basically go looking for the, his their old ship that they thought was destroyed and it wasn't and they they basically they're trying to rescue like an, an illegal cloaking device on from the ship Mm-hmm. So basically, the episode is is designed. The 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 um, Enterprise episode is basically Riker trying to make the decision to disobey a direct order, mm-hmm. and 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 to go ahead and tell Picard what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he's basically using the framework of this this episode, and and uh, Commander Tucker's choice to disobey a direct order in order to to justify justify his actions yeah i remember it, it taking place on the holodeck was 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 patrick stewart in that episode or is it just franks and the and the what's your name who plays deanna troy just franks and, Mir- and mirna certis yeah just those two okay i remember i remember seeing it and i remember that but i didn't find it very memorable as a whole because right. i didn't like the series right so and and we actually get a considerable time jump mm-hmm is, I mean, Enterprise basically, you know, it's kind of a, a, a one season is one year or, or very close to. And we actually get a time jump of six years, seven years from basically the, the, the previous episode to this one. Mm-hmm. And, and part of me suspects that the intention for for Enterprise was to go seven seasons and that they, they were going to actually kind of end in, the, in, in a similar spot with the signing of the Federation Charter. Mm-hmm. I think that I think like the last like two seasons were probably going to be like the Romulan the Earth Romulan Wars, mm-hmm. and I mean this this is just me speculating, but I think that I feel like that's where they were going, because they were slowly building towards that in the fourth season with the episodes they had, and then they obviously they didn't go anywhere. So yeah, I just that whole series was a mess, and I like Scott Bakula a lot. I really liked Quantum Leap. I would come home like and watch reruns after yep. school. A sci-fi Channel. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it, but I just could not. I didn't like the Archer character at all. It was Archer, right, Captain yes. Archer? And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like him. I thought he was way too self righteous, even for Star Trek. Just way too much. And then the supporting characters never did anything for me. Yeah, I mean, Jolene Blalock was just really kind of something, something nice to look at. She, her character. It grew some, but it was still it was rough for about two seasons, and I was just like okay. Like by the time the character started to grow, I kind of stopped caring about the character. 
Yeah, and I don't really remember her from much else. I think her big thing was she was like a professional surfer, a surfer or something. I don't and know. I don't see. I forgot what her background was. But so so the episode, like I enjoy it because it's Enterprise is going back. They're on their last trip home. On their way to go to go sign the Federation Charter, that uh, Archer's giving a big speech because he he was one of the the people who was fundamental in in establishing the Federation. So he so they're flying back, and um, they bring they bring in a character, uh, Shran, who is kind of a re- recurring character, and also uh, it's played by um, Jeffrey Combs, who was also Wayun in Deep Space Nine. So a recurring actor as well. And basically they have to go help Shran get his daughter back. Uh, they go, they get his daughter back. And then the aliens who they got his daughter back from board the ship, trying to, trying to get them, trying to get Shran again. And basically because the, the, the signing of the Federation charter is coming up, the, the engineer trip distracts the aliens and basically sacrifices himself to kill them. And prevent the cap from prevent them from killing the captain. Mm-hmm. And basically, the captain orders Trip not to do not not to not to do what he's attempting to do, and Trip ignores him. So that I mean that's the framework, but it's just it's kind of a nice. I, I always felt it was especially with the framework in 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 Riker making that decision. Mm-hmm. I just, I felt that was a really a really good structure to build. I mean, the, the, like the actual enterprise story was okay. I think what made it, what made it work is knowing that next gen episode. Yeah. And, 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 and giving, and giving some deeper, deeper perspective to it. That's always been my big beef with enterprise. Uh, that episode enterprise or that series enterprise as a whole. Is it even in its final episode, they had a kind of ride the coattails of the previous star Trek legacies. Cause to, even to me, Enterprise just doesn't feel like a Star Trek series. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't. It, it seems out of place. The the ships are out of place. The characters are out of place. The aliens all seem weird. And and uh, even though they tried to bring some of them back, just none of it worked for me. So like when I just think Star Trek, I I think of the original series, the three series we just mentioned, and then it stops there. Like I can't think of. I I don't think of Enterprise as truly. A, a Star Trek series. Yeah, and see, Enterprise had some really bad episodes. I mean, just some really awful episodes. It also had a, it also had some really good ones. Oh, well, I hadn't seen any of them. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, well, I mean, if you, I mean, you said you stopped after five episodes. You, you definitely didn't see any of the good ones. Yeah, I, I was like, well, they started time travel way too fast, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm just done with this. Yeah. I tried a few more, I, and I tried again every now and I think it was on UPN back in the day. The same channel it was a uh, voyager was on yep i would try it and i just go god this is really terrible because was was there some overlap between voyager and no there wasn't no, voyager there was not. 2001 yep and then and we're that's it and just boy it was bad. i think i think voyager ended and then we went right into enterprise though yeah and i just think maybe that maybe it was just the decision to go that far go back backwards in time was the problem because you had this really nice continuity that was really interesting with S- Deep Space Nine, Next Gen, and Voyager. They were all kind of connected. Right. Even though Voyager was kind of off on its own. 
I think if they brought it back into the post Dominion War stuff, maybe that would have been interesting. Well, and then the other the other one that you and I have always talked about is that seventy years between the original series and Next Gen. Yeah, and I really hope because obviously there's, there's been a new a new Star Trek series announced. I'm really hoping that 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 that's where they t- decide to put it. Was it you who was telling me this, or maybe we got it from someone else? That there's some sort of rule, some sort of contract rule where the new series has to come out six months after Star Trek Beyond is released. Have you heard this? I have not. Then Rich may have been the one who told me this, that there's something about this series that it has to come out or it can only come out. It can't come out before six months after the new movie. I mean, I can. I don't know that it would be a contract thing because it's all being done by CBS and Paramount. Like CBS owns Paramount. Right. Well, maybe that's just that's one of the rules that CBS is putting down. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it's a. I wouldn't call it a contract thing necessarily, but yeah. I mean, that may be a a dictate, if you will. Yeah. I'm. I'm. So this new series, I don't know anything about it or who's cast and if they even have a cast. No. No. Um. The only the only announcement I've heard that actually kind of gives me a little bit of hope is the director of Star Trek Two is a consulting uh, producer. Mm Hmm. Yeah, I, who knows? I just where Star Trek has gone some pretty strange place since Enterprise, and I'm like you. It's really funny if you look at like the next gen movies versus these two new Abrams movies. They are so different. I don't know where this that show is going to go. If it's going to go into the classic like sci-fi philosophy conundrum stuff, or they're going to try and be more of an action series. Right. And, and, and we're definitely going to come back to this as a, as an, on another podcast, because certainly in the, in the, in the time remaining, we don't have enough time to cover that, but I think it's worth a discussion. And the time remaining, we should definitely just pull up, talk about, uh, the, the, the YouTube video, uh, no to war for something like that, or Worf is always wrong. Have you seen that? Yeah, no, you sent it to me and, and I, I love it. I, I loved it because it's like it's like five minutes of people just shooting Worf down. The fun part about the, the, I think it's fourteen. <laughs> the best part about that though is that in about half of those situations, Worf is actually the one who's right. Yes, that's true. It's Worf gets shot down, and then it's like, oh, we probably should listen to Worf. Yeah, but I just love <laughs> no Worf, no, no. no. Worf, I rec- no, I recommend no. we raise shields. No, no, oh. no. Boom! Everybody starts shaking. <laughs> oh wait, oops. Captain, recommend we raise shields. We should fire back at them. No, Worf. <laughs> it is. Um, oh, that's that video is so. No, we'll definitely we'll definitely put that in the show notes. So, what have you been into this week? This week was is a little uh, not not very geeky this week that I can think of. Um, like right now, so you know how you, I'm a, I'm a Barnes and Noble. Cause I go to Barnes and Noble fairly regularly, so I had like a coupon I had to burn. Yeah. Otherwise, I would lose it. So yeah. I, and I, so I got thirty percent off a book total, and I picked up. Uh, Alexander the Great by Philip Freeman. Um, and it came recommended by uh, Adrian Goldsworthy, a guy who wrote uh, the, the Caesar and Augustus biographies, and Barry Strauss of the Spartacus War, which I mentioned last week, which I'm about halfway through. And so that's it's basically been history for the last week, which is sort of geeky. But also, I finished another Conan story from the first volume of The Coming of Conan, The Sumerian. And I really enjoyed it. These are all a lot of fun. And it was um, Zathal of the dark of the dusk, and I thought that was pretty. It was a pretty cool one with these giant like eight foot, ten foot 
blue black monsters that run around butt ass naked. And I just appreciate it for the one part where Conan stabs one of them in the groin and it dies. Damn. <laughs> That's a bad way to go. Oh yeah, he's the the monster is carrying like the the girl on the ship back to the sacrificial temple. Very very cliched, but you know in the 30s he was setting the cliches down. And right. Conan jumps out and puts puts the sword <laughs> right in the thing's groin, and it dies. And I went, okay, I can appreciate that. One of the uh, one of the girls I dated in high school, a friend of hers, didn't like Lord of the Rings because Gandalf was a stereotypical wizard. And we're like, no, 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 no. Gandalf is the stereotypical. That's where the stereotype comes from, you schmuck. Yeah, I mean, it's that's why I think um, John Carter, the John Carter movie from a few years ago, really fell flat because everyone has basically based science fiction and fantasy of the 20th century off the the the, the Princess of Mars series. Mm-hmm. So by the time it came to make the Princess of Mars a movie. We had already done it because it had been parried and yep. ripped off so many times. We've seen this already, but and you're trying, but these are the original. This is this is where it started, and no one, no one, no cares. one really wants to gives a crap about a two hundred million dollar uh, history lesson in in the literature of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, how about yourself? Uh, so a couple nights ago, I decided to to I'd, I'd purchased first twelve issues of Rat Queens. Uh, my Kindle, and so I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll just finally get around to reading them. I read the first one, and then I couldn't stop. I read, oh, really? I read twelve issues, thirteen issues, in the last two days. Wow! And, and, I, and what I, is I, it? I, I basically, I bought, I bought the last, the last three that I need to catch up. So I, that's actually probably what I'm going to do after, after we finish the podcast here. <laughs> it's basically like a a female, an all female adventure mercenary group and basically it's kind of set in D, you know kind of D in terms of your standard dungeons and dragons races and classes kind of ideas you know you have a dwarven fighter and yeah. um, a, um uh, a halfling mm-hmm. like rogue like it, it's real it's real stereotypical but it's a lot of fun and like like they just they don't give a fuck <laughs> Yeah, I love that episode of South Park where they're all playing World of Warcraft and Butters and Cartman both both pick the dwarf. And Cartman's like, no, Butters, I only get to be the dwarf. Go pick some other class. He's like, I'm just going to go play Hello Kitty Island Adventure instead now. Nice. Yeah, so it's it's that nice. It's actually really good. Like I said, I mean, I, I burn, burned through 13 issues in two days. I, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I think Donnell's got to look, take a look at it. Yeah. I also I also started rewatching uh, Mash. Oh wow! Because that's a great show. I mean, it's that just kind of like background noise, you know, because it's a comedy. Although some of it's like physical comedy, it's not most of it's jokes. So you can just kind of put it on as background noise, and that that's a great show. Yeah, especially I, I, early on, before Alan Alda starts trying to be all like serious and and deep thinking. It's it's a good show then too, but it's it's you, it's less background noise at that point. I was—I forgot to mention this earlier. You—you you have or have not watched the show Rick and Morty. Uh, I watched like the first episode. I haven't gotten around to watching the rest. I think either—I forgot if it was in the first or second season. There's an episode where Rick takes uh, the, his two grandkids to a uh, a planet that has been assimilated by like one of these uh, collective minds. Yeah. And, and, and like apparently it was, the girl's name is Unity, 
or not girl, but the, the thing's name is Unity. So it's in everyone. So Rick basically has a relationship with Unity. The, the whole the whole species that she's taken over. So he's like, there's scenes where he's like banging like seven different people, men, women. He's like, can I get, I want, I want all your redheads. Just bring all the redheads you've taken over. And can you, not, not asking for judging, can you get inside a giraffe? And then apparently Unity has like a guy, another hive mind that's in the friend zone. And it's uh, definitely a play on the Borg. Nice. So yeah, check that out. Since we were talking Borg earlier, I had forgot to mention it, but it's Rick and Morty. I think I'm gonna st- uh, restart because I know season three is coming later in the year. Nice. All right, folks. Well, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeigeek.com. Check out our blog posts and our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Make sure you rate and review. Join the conversation on Facebook. Yell at us and tell us if we're wrong. Or pick a topic you want us to talk about and we'll do our best. Even if we don't know a damn thing about it, I'm really good at faking it. Ask his girlfriend. (laughs) So once again, I'm Andrew. And I'm the dude. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. Take care.